Welcome to the Oakcrest Podcast Channel. Oakcrest School in Vienna, Virginia challenges girls in grades 6 to 12 to develop character, faith, and leadership potential to thrive in college and throughout their lives. In this episode, Laura O'Neill, Oakcrest Class of 1996, discusses how to help your daughters form healthy friendships. She explains the role that parents can play in guiding their daughters to learn how to develop healthy friendships that will help her along the road of virtue. Laura is a licensed professional counselor at Alpha Omega Clinic in Virginia. So, yeah, friendship. First of all, kudos to anyone who came out this morning to just hear about how to help your daughter build more healthy friendships. Um, I think it's, it's a natural desire to be always looking for technique. Like what kind of, is there a technique? Is there a technique that I possibly could be missing? Like, is there a formula? Is there a checklist? Um, Many people, many people in this room, many girls in this school, high achieving, high functioning, and, and it seems like there ought to be like a checklist, a technique, the ideal technique um, to develop healthy friends. There's not, there's not really. <laughs> so, I mean, there is and there isn't. It's, it's experiential because it's human. And we could give the, we could give each other, we could give the, does this sound okay? Yeah. Um, we could give the girls flashcards on how to develop virtues, healthy friendships. We could help them understand this, really the science of attachment, of how our heart leans onto other people and rests and other, other people feel safe in other people's space. But you can't learn it in theory. It is experiential. And I think to, to start, I would say, anything that's experiential needs to be really slowed down to look at. Because oftentimes, girls, as they grow in friendship and they're developing new bonds, when they make missteps, and they all do, because perfection is actually not an option, so making missteps is, is the way, um, it's all happening so fast. It's all happening so fast inside them because emotions are fast and it feels urgent to resolve. And then when we don't slow down to actually look at what's happening interpersonally, things can get resolved quickly just by kind of pushing them down. And I'll tell you what, from my own experience, I heard this growing up. I'm not exactly sure where I heard it first, but if you want something to get bigger, keep talking about it. If you want it to go away, never speak of it again. That was like a little bit of a philosophy where I was growing up. <laughs> and it kind of works for a while. It works to a, to a point. It certainly can, can mitigate like a very, very bad day. It helps you face a new day. It, it's cognitive. To just put it out of your mind, it's all up here in the head. It's not down here in the body. It's not explaining why when I see that person's face, I'm raging. <laughs> Doesn't explain anything like that at all, because it's, it's very cognitive. So it's a short-term solution. It's not the credo of life, but, but we, we find ourselves, and that, that kind of philosophy can get passed through, through families. So that if we'd, we'd want something to go away, we just, we just never speak of it again. <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not talking about necessarily always traumatic things, but conflict, interpersonal conflict. So what I thought I might do is run very quickly over the points that I shared with the girls um, in the last couple of talks that they seem to really respond to. So I, I opened with uh, both the middle schoolers and the upper school girls talking about the kinds of friendship and I thought I would kind of gloss over that, like a few categories of the kinds of friends you might have. But they really were like, I don't know if the, the faculty were there, like acting like, whoa, this is putting some information on the map that they had no sense of. And this is ancient, not original with me. This is Aristotle. But I didn't say that because that would make it sound boring. <laughs> so, but this is right out of Nicomachean ethics. Or, you know, I always botch that word. So, true friends. Friendship, it's an essential part of the good life. To live a good life, that's obviously 
most of what his material is. Um, meaningful relationships. There's really kind of like a bandwidth that most of us have. And a lot of it has to do with our temperaments. Our temperaments are our default, some of our default settings, introverted, extroverted, how many friends we can kind of really handle. But amongst friends, Aristotle put them in some, some categories. So I'm going to go through them briefly. Because friendship isn't uh, part of the good life. It's not one of the internal goods. It's one of the external goods that helps facilitate virtue. Um, being educated, being reasonably healthy. He says having decent luck. And having good friends is all external goods which help along the path of facilitating virtue, which would help for a good life. Okay. So <clears throat> the three kinds of friendship, the first level he discusses is friendship of utility. That is what that sounds like. That you might be friendly with people because of something that is useful for you or you're friendly with them because they're very friendly towards you. You're useful towards them. I gave the girls an example of, you should have seen their faces when I said it. <laughs> Maybe you're friends with someone because you hear that... <laughs> I made this up off the top of my head. Their mom works at Wolf Trap and gets free tickets all summer. <laughs> and you could want to work in on that, some free tickets. <laughs> so why wouldn't you kind of be a little friendlier towards her? You could use some lawn seats for free. And they, <laughs> especially the middle schoolers, horrified look on their face. The upper school were like, yeah, I'd be friends with her. <laughs> so. You know, that's the first kind of friends that we have, what people can do for each other. Um, someone who could put in a good word for you somewhere. You know, um, that's, that's good. It's just like not as high a good because, of course, there is a hierarchy to goods. So that's good. It's maybe not great, but it's pretty good. And it's good to know that, that your life is going to be full of people who might be in that category, like, often. And to demand levels of true friendship from someone who's really kind of more in that friends of utility category is to set yourself up, to set your heart up, to be hurting. So it's it really, I think the distinguish, I think this was one of the things for the girls that really was like, whoa, okay, so true. Um, second level, the uh, friendship of pleasure. This is a gigantic category of the friends that we may have in our lives. Um, based on enjoyment of shared activity and the pursuit of fleeting pleasures and emotions. For adolescent girls, this is a very wide, wide category, and I would be so bold as to say, most of them have friends of pleasure, mostly. As you get older in high school, I think you can develop what we're gonna get to, which is the category of true friendship, as Aristotle defines it, but that's difficult because just developmentally, they're not always there yet to be able to, um, to operate in that, in that way. Some of them are. Some of them have beautiful true friendships. But many, their true friendships are going to be more with their siblings for a little while. And, and maybe hopefully lifelong because your sibling relationship is the longest relationship of the lifespan for everybody. But, but hopefully what they're learning with siblings would grow to that. So back to friends of pleasure. Um, <clears throat> friendship of pleasure, um, Aristotle says this is friendship of the young. If anyone here remembers the book that I spoke about in the fall, Hold On to Your um, Kids, this is where I'm going to now, this is what I didn't tell the students. They're all in class. So, okay, they're not on the eerie, as they would say. Um, Adults have a lot of friends of pleasure as well. A lot of friends of pleasure. And oftentimes one's spouse is the true friend. One's sibling is the true friend. But your kids are watching and they don't always necessarily know that your friends of pleasure who are happy hour people, book club people, good people, people that you want to learn from and you enjoy, friends of pleasure, book club people. You're all enjoying the same books, right? Maybe one person in there could be a tr like a true friend, and we're going to get to that. But by and large, 
we have the most of friends of pleasure. We really do. And, and I think girls watch their mothers and they watch their mother's friendships. And this is an, an area of distinction and we're gonna get to how to help them form healthy friendships, but they, if they can have an understanding of how, how you're treating your friend groups and watching your boundaries that you have with other adult women and couples and entertaining, and this is, that'll be more part of the challenging talk. We'll do that in the second half of the talk. But, but what I'm getting at is um, we want girls to learn how to develop healthy friendships that can enhance the good life. Why? Because it helps along the, the road of virtue. But we don't want to turn over their formation to their friends thinking, all right, let's get them some true friends before they graduate. And, and inadvertently help them become overly independent and frankly peer-oriented too soon. So this is, this, is, this is the finesse here, right? Like helping them understand, but yet really not overly dependent on, on other kids. Not abdicating you know, the job before, before it's done. Okay, not that, any, not that anyone would do that intentionally. Not that that would happen intentionally. That's the whole thing, it happens unintentionally. Okay, so <clears throat> um, if I shared with you a, in a very, very general sense the feedback that I got from the girls talking to them about friends of utility, friends of pleasure, and true friends, um, it was a sense of weepiness, tears coming, that I don't have any true friends. And so what I, what I should have said when I spoke to them was I would expect most people to not have developed true friends yet. I wish I had released them from that pressure of thinking, okay, yeah, well, I got 150 utility, I got 500 pleasure friends. It's not about categorizing like that. It's just having this sense. The most important piece about understanding friends of pleasure versus true friends, true friendship um, is friendship of the good. These people, you like them for themselves. They push you to be a better person. They speak the truth to you with charity. We spent a long time with that, with the girls. Truth with charity, never one without the other. So sometimes that looks like grabbing somebody before they run into traffic, but sometimes it looks like waiting and speaking to somebody privately about something. Sometimes it looks like discerning, never putting it in a text message, always using voice to voice, face to face. Um, true friends really will your highest good and you share in common the values that define the highest good. And this is really what they're learning here at Oakcrest. Um, so the mistake is treating friends of pleasure, mistaking them for true friends, asking of them qualities of true friendship when they're, you're just not there yet. And again, in, unless I think you really discern like is this a friend of pleasure or have I had this moment where I was about to behave recklessly <laughs> and my friend said that is so not like you are you sure that's really not like you I just I just felt like I had to say it before you were going to do the thing that's a moment where someone was was leveling up at like a true friend and some of the girls have had that and I know about it, and it's, it's, it's remarkable, and it's mature for a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. Um, it takes a lot of courage. But I believe that we have that courage inside of us, that, that there's some God-given that you can tap into that's always there to make that bold move that, that, we, that we do know what's true. So the girls really responded to that. They really liked the idea of friends of utility, friends of pleasure, and true friends. Um, then after that, we segued into how to be an appealing person. And any of the faculty that might have been there, I really, do you know the expression dick and janing something? Most adults seem to know that. Like you just, dick and janing something is like, I don't know if it's a military expression. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you make something really very obvious, and you use very simple words like those Dick and Jane books. <laughs> I don't know where that expression comes from. Anyway, that's what I did. I talked about smiling 
having really good hygiene, clean hair, just the, the power of being well-groomed. It's not about appealing to any kind of natural beauty. It's about being appealing as another person. That's hard stuff to talk about, full stop. It's hard stuff for girls to hear. <laughs> but I hope that they re received it in the spirit that it was given. Um, I think that they did. We, we fooled around a little bit about it. Um, <clears throat> smiling with your eyes. We talked about that. Using humor. Uh, we talked about not speaking over other people. So just really good interpersonal habits. We talked about that urgent, delightful feeling. There should be a German word for it. That's like when someone tells you something and you just thought of the same thing and it was just in your dream last night and you can't wait for them to stop talking so you can say me too. <laughs> that is like one of the most exquisitely delightful feelings. And to notice that and not talk over the other person, to not say, oh my gosh, you just went to Spain. I've always wanted to go to Spain. Like to slow down and be like, there's time. Let me receive this other person. And just, I'm going to ask one more question before I burst in there with my thing. Um, they're all just learning that. They, that doesn't come naturally. That has to be um, really thought about. Keeping confidences, you'll, I think, would be glad to know. We spent a significant amount of time talking about in friendship. I'm going to borrow my brother-in-law's great expression. There's a difference between telling and tattling that you can hold confidences if someone has something they need to unburden themselves and they're sharing. And um, maybe it's just something awkward. Like they don't know why they have sweat stains in their uniform shirt. But they always do and they can't get them out. That's a real thing. And that's not something that you need to repeat. It's certainly, it's not even that interesting because it happens to a lot of people. But like, that's something, you go ahead and hold that in confidence. You can take that one to the grave for people. <laughs> but when something's dangerous, when something's above your pay grade as a kid, you can't solve it. It feels really big. It feels like, wow, I'm hearing something that's pretty grave. That's when you tell your mom. That's when you tell your mom, or you tell a teacher, if you got somebody right there. <sighs> and this is why I couldn't wait to talk to parents. Helping your daughter develop healthy friendships, some people, you're going to need a body double to act for you. On location, she tells you the thing, you're going to need your body double to come in to receive it. Because everything's in you is going to be like, what? <laughs> Give me your phone. Da -da -da -da. Like, go into go mode. And you're, it's going to trigger the parts of you that feel very young. That's what happens when our adolescent girls tell us stuff, it will trigger the parts of you that are very young, that act very, very fast, and feel very black and white and catastrophic. I knew I shouldn't have gotten you, but and you'll be going back five years, what you shouldn't have done five years ago, and you'll be saying it out loud. I have no judgment for that. I have only compassion, because I know what that feels like, to feel like you need to roll back and take it from the top. That's why you need your body double. You, to really practice hearing difficult information, long exhale, I'm so glad you told me that. I'm going to process, I'm just processing, I'm just processing. And then, that, you don't have to say much more than that when kids tell you big stuff. But, but, that, you deserve a ton of credit for being able to do that. You really do. Because kids tell us stuff to flip us out. And that's just on a Wednesday. <laughs> like, they, they tell you stuff that, and, and, they'll say it so casually. And you're like, how do you even know about this? And then you're just randomly mentioning this. That you heard this awful tale. I didn't think you even knew about that. You know, the levels of just, frankly, depraved things that they'll just mention. I know, we're in a sick, sick, like the culture at large. We're trying to help the culture, right? But they know about things. And you've gone to this great efforts to 
find this beautiful school where, where by and large, most parents are trying to do what you're trying to do, which is to help them stay young, let them be kids, enjoy childhood for as long as possible, um, and then grow, develop, not be scandalized by the world, and be a light to the world. Somewhere in that process, they learn things sooner than you did. Is that not true? Please raise your hand if your kids learn things so sooner than you did. A lot of things. I know. I know. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is something that would need to be drilled as if you are a basketball player standing at the free throw line in some basketball court getting muscle memory for what it's like to respond to kids and not lose your ever-loving mind. This is the pivotal difference of how you help kids stay adult-oriented rather than bringing all their bad, depraved news to their friends. Because be clear, they have to unburden it. It's the rare person who pushes it all down. It's, frankly, much more of a male temperament thing to do, to try to push it down, push it away. Um, men often move their emotions through their body physically. They're much more inclined to do that. But girls process by being witnessed. Fun, we're all, humans are fundamentally relational, but girls in their, in their um, natural receptivity create environments to hear each other and be there for each other. And there's a deep, hardwired desire to nurture and, and be received. And, and um, so one of the things I hear from parents often in my work is getting my kids around other kids that don't talk about things like this, that don't do things like this. How can I get my kids around kids that are, I don't know, doing very wholesome things all the time? <laughs> and <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Um, it's to help them unburden it with you. That they tell you stuff and then it doesn't need to be repeated to other kids because they've, they've already got that sense of it's, it's complete. Like there's a complete offloading of their stuff. So I'm hanging around at this point for a while for a reason. Because, it's, okay, can I just cut to the chase? This is where people blow it. If I could just say it. This is where it gets blown. And you can repair it but it takes longer to repair than if you can kind of just try to slow down from the jump and practice. Because other things kids do that are not regarding friendship will obviously drive you nuts as well. You buy something, it's for a company, and then they open the bag and eat it and leave one and put it back in the cabinet. <laughs> or none, <laughs> exactly. And, and put it back in the cabinet, yeah. And then act like you got robbed. I didn't take the last one. I mean, they do these things. But if you can find some of those like more, you know, ordinary experiences and practice, practice. Our Lord is with you in these moments for sure when you can just breathe. <sighs> Let me just process that for a second. Let me just take it in. Process is sort of a therapy word, right? Just Let me just, let me just take it in. Okay. <sighs> is that okay? No, it's not. Now I have to go to Giant again. Okay. Just like slowing yourself down. Slowing yourself down. And, and you know what it is? It's being gentle with yourself. It's showing yourself compassion because a dysregulated parent cannot help a dysregulated child. And that's true of teachers, anybody who's with young people. If you are dysregulated, if you're up here in fight or flight, you're not going to get through. And to, to, to your child. They can't receive it. I wish that they could, but they can't. Their brain's not online. Their brain's not online for the learning. They might learn from, like, the fear of not wanting to be yelled at, but that doesn't, that doesn't create any kind of lasting change. You can only just whack-a-mole with symptoms with that. So always as endeavoring as much as you can to slow down and be really regulated, um, when kids tell you what ordinarily might feel like a very scandalizing thing. Um, 
girls need help discerning the difference between um, caring and overly discussing things. So I want to give you now just pivot to one. This is still under the category of keeping confidences. One way, and then now we're also moving into tougher stuff, but I believe you all can handle it. One way to re that would really help not have your daughter be someone who overly discusses other people's lives and, and just the, her, their relationships is to try as much as you can to not externally process your thoughts and feelings about relationships. Because a lot of the externally pro external processing is it's a, like a dominant uh, trait that that runs through families. Like it just feels like I got it. I have to just vent. I have to just vent about somebody. I've heard girls in therapy tell me stories, no joke, about their mother's sister who they don't talk to, who lives in California, um, and her mother's sister has a neighbor who did blank blank blank. And and that's. That's just what this kiddo is used to. Discussing people, it's like, okay, your aunt, there could be, all right, something could be there, some pain, I get that. But now it's the aunt's neighbor who's doing the thing. She's just reprocessing to me what she's been hearing her mom process out loud. But kids don't know what to do with all that. They, it's, it's too much, it's too much detail. So one, one thing is, if you hear, if, maybe you're thinking, that's not me. I say nothing, really, <laughs> in front of my kids, and that's great. But like, if that, if that is you, then you can think about it. But if it's not you, and you notice your daughter's like discussing somebody's life ad nauseum, just the way to behave is a little like, like show some contrast there. Like that's a lot. I feel like I shouldn't know all that. Th those are words that you can use when girls overly discuss something. Oh, I heard so-and-so is taking this kind of medication. Da -da -da. Oh, my word. Okay, that's not the kind of stuff we should know about other people. Boundaries, verbalizing those kind of boundaries. And that's gonna be, individual for, for your family. I don't know that there's one way. Oh, I should never know another medicine someone's taking. That's not like a hard and fast rule. Maybe amongst true friendship, there is some sharing because vulnerability is the only recipe for intimacy. You can't have intimacy without vulnerability. However, I also know families where siblings don't know what the heck is going on between each other. There's super big rigid boundaries. One kid's going to a doctor. The other is like, I don't know where they were that day. You know? And so that may be how your family works. But when it comes to helping your daughter with friendships, finding that place where I have to compliment Laura Bell, because she's right here. But I remember working here and hearing her talk to girls um, years ago about just using the word what detraction is. So they could really learn when you repeat stuff that could be you know, really a detraction from, from their character. And, and how that, that can be hurtful. I mean, really teaching them what that is. But then when you're living your life and you wanna to try to catch that, a way to catch it is just saying, oh my word, okay, I got it, I got it, that enough. We, that, we really should know that about them. And just saying those kinds of things to help your daughter rem keep that contrast that it should be surprising to hear intimate details of somebody else's life. So before we keep going, does, is there any, I'm gonna invite feedback right now. Is there anything popping up inside of anybody that feels like you're unsure or you just wanna ask any questions? Yes. Yeah, so that's great. If, if, if kids come to you, this is already like just what we want. Things, this is the way I look at it. Things are going in the right direction. The conduit of information to adults. I've had people share with me that sometimes they think they can't tell their mentor something because it's gossip. And I'm like, no, 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 you can tell the mentor the thing. Because that, that's a different kind of relationship, even if they feel so friendly with their mentor, right? But I think the words to use are, I'm so glad you let me know. This is exactly what, what I, was, I, would, I would hope that you would come to me with this kind of stuff. And I'm gonna contain it for you. I'm gonna contain it for you. So if it's actionable information, that's something that needs to go to Jeannie Herrick and then needs to get to the kiddo's mom or dad, that 
you funnel it into the right kind of channels. But if it's just something like, I can't believe my friend, she, she kind of um, has a BO problem and she really smells. And she tells you because she just is bursting. She just needs to say it. This kiddo is an extrovert, a sanguine, and an external processor. So you can say, I'm so glad you told, said that to me. But the tone then changes. Like, I'm so glad you said that to me. But I will contain that. I will contain that. Because that is kind of the thing that could be, that's a little, I don't know, that's a little hurtful. But I got it for you. I'm keeping it right here in the container kind of thing. So in a gentle way, without any shame, you can help the kid know you just like, you know, compl complained up, you know, as we do. And that's what, that's what's, um, that's just much more ordered to give it to someone who it will not be repeated. And it invites the, the emotional hospitality, that if you're just bursting and you need to say something which is semi-awkward or repeating something about someone that you need to unburden yourself with, maybe a kid tells you something, something was gross, something, whatever they, they're just struggling with, you want to keep the door open that they come back and tell you again next time. And, and that helps them have that sense that, first of all, I'm talking to a safe person, and that's what life is about, is giving and sharing and being vulnerable where it's ordered, that the person who I'm giving information to is the person that, that can handle it. And in life, there's always that person. As we move forward so that the girls would know, don't maybe overshare everything with your college roommate, because this is the next front, this is the next part of the battlefield, is that they're gonna get to college and they'll live with someone who may say, do you want to come home with me next weekend? My parents would love to meet you. Are you ready? I'm going to wake you guys up right now. But it's my uncle's wedding. He's getting married to his, his boyfriend, and I want you to come. It would be so fun. That's the next, that's the next line in the battlefield, if I, if I may just be so bold. So helping each kid know where information that feels really difficult and heavy to, to carry, where it goes. Because she may just need to process that. And if she doesn't have a healthy sense of, you know, where can I share stuff that feels like it's above my pay grade, like out of my bandwidth? Where do I go? Then she finds herself letting the, that immediate passion that kind of walls up, oh, she wants me to come home. I don't want to be unkind, un-something, not tolerant. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Next thing you know, she goes home. She doesn't tell her parents. She's at this event. It's... This, and then it, it erodes, that peer orientation comes in. And I don't want to be like a weird fear monger person right now. But do you understand what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. Helping kids always know what's so ordered is to kind of complain up, vent up. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Let me tell you some words that kids actually super love. Can I get a do-over? Can I get a do-over? Even in the moment, if you, that could happen to you tonight, it's Friday. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? And, you're, and, and your daughter says something, and at first you're like, what the heck? And then... Can I get a do-over? So that's always a good one to catch you in the moment. But, but in terms of repair, if you feel like you've genuinely, um, you know, caused something that you really want to undo because now you've actually heard your kid say, I can't tell you anything because this is what you always do. Of course, it's always. And you're like, there was like 5,000 times that I was perfectly agreeable. <laughs> but all of that goes out of their mind. Um, but this is the way you always are. <clears throat> so you, if, if you can, to just say, you know what? I get why it feels like I'm always like that. Because when, when it's you get shut down on your idea and your plan, it feels like it feels bad. I remember. I remember that. <sighs> but I want to let you know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like hear you differently because I really am trying to, I'm getting in touch with, I remember what it was like to be your age. And that just could open the door a little bit of an invitation. And then, next thing, you have to be physically available. Availability is 
so deeply unique to being uniquely linked to being able to genuinely love someone on a lot of different levels, emotionally, spiritually, to feel like there's no impediments and that you can be available to love is, I believe, the work of life. That's, that's the work of life. But let's just start with being physically available. That looks, that's going to look like, for some of you, you might fall asleep. Because so many of you, I know we're all busy and doing things and multitasking. It means being unplugged. And it means being in the center of the house, probably. It means sitting and just looking around. <laughs> and now some of you are like, I, don't, I actually don't have that luxury to do that. It looks like not having anything else and being willing to let the kid be, be in your presence. That's what Gordon Neufeld talks about, delighting in their presence. So they come in and they say whatever things they're saying or not. But that, but that hospitality, that availability is really critical. So turning it around could be suddenly like you're just sitting in the family room and they're like, first they're gonna come by and be like, what are you doing? Like so suspicious, so suspicious <laughs> because they're all so suspicious. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm just here. I'm just seeing who shows up, you know? Um, but making that a regular thing. If you have to put a timer for yourself to remind yourself to stop doing stuff and being in the place of traffic that, that's, that's really, um, it's just very important. Um, what it is true, what they say, car rides is when teenagers will often talk because they're not looking directly at you. I know it's a change from when they were seven and eight, but, but it's true. They often talk when they don't look directly at you, which is also why they often will talk when you're on walks. Um, <clears throat> but surprising them with what, like sometimes they say something and just try to really like burst out laughing. That also is an invitation that like you're delighting in them. Even if it's not like the most laugh thing, trying to greet them with, okay, like and some of the things they say, I mean, my sister tells me what my niece Felicity says, that just recently she, my, she had sync on the radio and Felicity said, oh, that's who you, you listen to? Are they all dead now? <laughs> she actually said that in sync they're like in their 40s <laughs> like, she's like they're so old i mean they say these hysterical things and and to um to receive them with laughter when they say things is is um it's probably one of the sweetest sounds that anybody can hear second to their first name using someone's name will always be the sweetest sound to their ear um okay so moving down the list after I went through like a lot of appealing categories, don't interrupt people, um, different ways to be thoughtful, I, I knew actually, and this is how this kind of came up organically, what Mary was talking about, that I was leading to them to the moment of, okay, well, this is like how you, how you get some friends and how you attract people to you, but what about some of the, um, the conflict that we've already had? And I'm telling you what, you talk about repairing and forgiveness, you're going to watch the student body eyes well up like this, like this. And my heart was like, whoo, okay, because you know why? Tears come almost always from a sense of futility. I've tried everything. I feel like, I feel like I've tried everything. And I, I can't get this thing to change. And it's so painful. So that's where I was seeing the tears right away. Um, but we went through how to actually sit down, voice to voice, face to face, and be with each other, receiving each other. Yes, I did this, I felt this. And we use the formula for assertive communication, which maybe many of you have heard before. I felt sad when you, I always feel sad, I usually feel sad. Always is a strong word. I feel sad when you come in the kitchen in the morning and you don't say good morning because it just hits me with this like sense of disconnection from you. So if you can just say good morning, that would feel like so much better to my mother's heart. That's assertive communication with a kid. I feel this when you this because of this. And if you can practice that little formula, you can just Google assertive communication formula. It's that exact formula. And that helps the girls then learn 
to invite in their tender emotions that you can say, I feel sad when you come, and that's what they do, right? They breeze through the room and they don't say good morning. It's a really easy way to practice assertive communication with emotion. And then you're in, you're, the goal would be to lead kids to their caring feelings, their more caring feelings. There's been many studies that over the last 15 years, teenagers are like 40% less empathetic than they were 15 years ago. Like it's, it's, it's downtrending. There are levels of empathy, and some of you are nodding, that you can see it. And if you've experienced <clears throat> kids who've um, had really cruel things happen in relationships with each other, you've felt it with them. You've felt it with them that how, how can they be so cruel? You know, and they're looking down at phones. That's a, that's a big part of it. I'm always inviting myself to my next talk. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> but that, okay. Hear my heart on this. It is actually a bigger problem than you even think. And all y'all know it's a problem. It's actually a bigger problem. I, if I could jump on the grenade of people getting a smartphone, I would. It's, 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 it's on levels that we, do, we don't fully appreciate yet. We're not designed to be watching other people. Okay, that's another talk, Laura. Um, <clears throat> but um, it is a reason why they can't access their caring feelings as often. They're infinitely overstimulated, scrolling by stray dogs, people dying, hurricanes, and why wouldn't they be out of empathy? It's a trauma response. You can't see so much content and stay with your heart on fire. You have to learn to numb. So we've got parts of our psyche that develop in response to this, the culture that we're in. It can really help to not be seeing so much content on phones. I would die on that hill in anybody's family. I believe in monitoring them. I don't want anyone to be kidnapped. I like the phone thing on the wrist, but you're not talking and scrolling. But once you are talking, like you're just scrolling, here's the thing, once you're scrolling, you're it's a whole lot less talking. So, okay, I've ended my talks about friendship with the girls, talking about how to do repair. That was good, I think it brought, a, a lot of girls came to me right after with some specific questions about long-term um, conflicts that have happened. We talked a lot about red flags and green flags of um, friendship. I think that kids overly qualify things as red flags because it's a, it's a trendy thing to say. I think, I think young people also overly qualify, overly categorize things as toxic when it's like, nope, she was just hungry that day and it was rude. It wasn't toxic. <laughs> it was certainly rude. You're allowed to notice rude behavior but helping develop healthy friendships is really not expecting perfection from other humans. And it's this like profound, deeper understanding that we can't expect other people to do what only our Lord can do. This happens in marriages and it starts in friendships. That we can't understand why someone's not loving us like, like Jesus. Like, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're human, they're trying. But they've got their own complicated history that they've rolled into this friendship with. And so do you. And guess what? There's solidarity in realizing that we're, we're all trying and falling and getting back up. There's solidarity in that. And that can be a really beautiful thing to tap into for, for girls. Um, it's not an invitation to be any kind of doormat, but that's the extreme. That's the extreme. It's not as often as you think that someone's like always the friend of utility, always used. There's a fear of that. But helping people see, you know, we actually get stronger through rupture and repair. Why would that be? Because it does model our relationship with God. That we fall, we get, we get back up. We fall, we get back up a hundred times a day. 
So we get stronger through rupture and repair, rupture and repair, rupture and repair. And there's freedom in knowing that that, that friendships can actually heal and be better afterwards because there's so much vulnerability. So helping girls, help, helping spot that. Because if you can slow your own emotions when they're talking to you about stuff about friends, slow your own stuff. If it's pinging any parts of you that had difficulty with friendships in high school, asking that part of you to just wait while you try to be present to, to your kiddo. Because I'm just giving it to you, frankly, this is also where I see it go off the rails. And things can get bigger when it touches your stuff. That if you had a wound that hasn't quite been attended to from your formative years, it feels like it's happening today to you. And that's when it can sometimes, you know, you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to call Mary Ortiz. I'm going to say the thing. I'm going to tell her the thing because it feels so big. So, you know, and I get that. Oh, man, I so get that. My hair has been on fire five times this week. I feel it. Like, I'm a, I, I feel my emotions in my body, like, really, really. I'm, I'm in touch with my emotions. <laughs> but if you can get a little space from them, just a little bit, like, is that okay? No. Okay, wait, what's, what is this? Could I just, like, narrator voice, look at myself for a second and say, what is this? This is a really big response. Anything really big, make a U-turn. It's coming from you. And then just... Just try to slow it down. Okay. <sighs> Breathe. Uh, do I need to walk? Do I need to move my body? Do I need to just write it down for yourselves? But asking your daughters too. The, proce the processing that happens as you write, it gives integrity to the emotion. So you're not gaslighting yourself. You're like, this has happened. I feel like raging right now. This person's fired from my life. But as you give yourself that integrity that you're writing it in a journal, which is so, so well-ordered, because journals are private. Slide it underneath your mattress, and that's where those really big emotions that got, frankly, disordered, disordered anger, that's where it could go, right, right in there. And <clears throat> that takes, here goes the big word, <sighs> role modeling. It's the number one way that anybody learns any of this kind of stuff. It's the way our Lord designed us is to have temperate role models, those images going into our eyes all the time. And I think that's why the student body here is exceptional, that, that so many kids have these like beautiful parents that have like amazing role models. You're allowed to have a one-off. You can have a one-off as long as there's like four or five good in between. Truly, that's the golden ratio. It's true in marriage, it's true in parenthood. That you can just completely blow it and then the, all the positives in between <clears throat> help, um, help that that doesn't become like a traumatic wound. Because we've all had moments where we just And I think sometimes it's easier to see with marriage because like two of you and you're kind of thinking, you know. But with parenthood, it's similar. No one's expecting perfection, just patterns of a lot of safety and, and patterns of really good role modeling. You don't have to sit down with your journal in front of your daughter and be like, see, I'm journaling. <laughs> well, maybe you will, but, but it's not, it doesn't have to be quite so literal. But sometimes just narrating your process, like, oof, you know, I, I got, like, let me do, I gotta write this out and see what I'm really thinking. Because when we write and when we talk, it's, we're learning to think, right? So, <clears throat> um, even just hearing yourself say that. Maybe you will, maybe you won't write it out later. But even just saying, that's what I could use right now. That's what's indicated. There's a, there's a big feeling and it needs to get processed. Okay, so all of those kinds of moments where you can slow things down, invite vulnerability, um, emotional hospitality will help girls learn that that's where deep bonds are created but it's, it's in your household for as long as it needs to be before they really learn how to like take the show on the road and like take this to somebody else's house and be a real true friend somewhere else. Because most of the time, kids only are greeted with that truth with charity by their parents. 
and it doesn't feel like truth with charity to them. It feels like a, like a lot of rules um, and pushback on maybe sometimes what they want to be doing. But if it's if it's balanced with that sense of you can tell me you really genuinely can tell me anything, that's a great thing to say. It's a completely different thing to feel. I've you know I'd be a millionaire if I had a dollar for every time a kid said, "Well, my parents say I can tell them anything." but I know that I can't. I think they think they're facing the like executioner all the time. I know, I know that that's not happening, I know. But I also remember sort of semi sometimes feeling like they will kill me if I tell them this. They will kill me if I'm not even doing it. This is my friend doing it, and if I tell them, <laughs> they'll never let me see that friend again. <clears throat> so, healthy friendships. If your kiddo tells you something that their friend, about their friend, and it changes what you, the way you want to do, um, like permission to be with that friend, go to that friend's house and that kind of thing. I'm gonna ask you right now to do the courageous thing and spread it around to all of your parent friends. Get on the phone to the other parent. Yes, it is in your lane. We're not our own, we're not ourselves. If you hear that someone is doing something, people sometimes like out of a, Beautiful sense of decorum and privacy. I don't want to get involved. <clears throat> get involved. Call and say, you know what? I think I heard that your daughter bought a case of um, Natty Light last night and drank it herself. Like, you need to tell other parents that. And it doesn't work as well coming through the school because this, it didn't happen here. It didn't happen between seven and three. Every school I've ever worked at, <clears throat> I've seemed to, it could be a conduit of information because it feels, who wouldn't want to just tell Jeannie Herrick first and not tell the other mom because you might see her at an event. This is a small community. I'm telling you, that courage, truth with charity, if you think your daughter's going to be able to speak truth with charity to her people, why would she if you can't? Why would she if you can't? So the parents have to talk to each other because she's only going to fall far from the tree being an apple and everything. Thank you. Um, does that make sense? And so you don't necessarily have to advertise it to the whole world, but it needs, it needs to be done because it's, it's this peer group on another level taking care of each other. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Oakcrest School. To subscribe to our podcast channel, visit oakcrest.org.